to Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. Hey, that's us. That is us. And we're What's here up? for another week. And um, we're excited about a lot, a lot of things. Um, Corey and I have had a lot of meetings in the past couple of weeks for a very good reason, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, how is everything at the Edge Ranch? Give us an update for the folks listening. Dude, today... <clears throat> It was windier than Santa Claus giving a keynote speech during a toy building con- convention. And I tell you what. Now, hold on a second. Where the heck did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just made it up. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, lots of wind <laughs> happening, which is not a bad thing because it's drying us out pretty good. Um, man, we got uh, got the last group weaned, which is great. I'm freaking done. Not a bad deal. Used. Yeah, geez. Um, but getting these used dried up. Uh, got them all. Got the used, the mature used wormed uh, the other day, which was great. Got some feet trimmed. Nice. I saw wormed. the. I saw the uh, shearers were there, getting yep. things slicked out. Yep. Got everything sheared, which is good. Always have a few that are just a little behind nutritionally, but yeah. we'll get that figured out. Um, yeah, good stuff. Time to, time to start hitting it hard, feeding some yearlings out and, and getting, uh, getting some lambs ready for some families because we will show one way or another. That's right. That is That's right. That's right. Uh, Dude, did you watch, uh, did you watch the bracket buster? I did. That was quite cool. Dude, that uh, was neat. That was the closest thing to a, a livestock show in person that we've seen. Although it was totally different style, Walton Webcasting knocked it out of the park of getting that thing as cool as it possibly could be, and it was. Yeah, and they got the Cyberstock show coming up this weekend. So tune in to Walton Webcasting, whether you're on a computer or on your phone. Just go to waltonwebcasting.com, and then uh, if I'm understanding correctly, it's just a link. You can just click on it like any other show. Yeah. Yep. Get Pretty on their cool. Facebook page. It's where everything is. Uh, I saw Greg had a video explaining some stuff earlier. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of things on there. Don't miss out on that. I've heard a lot of people who are subscribing to the archives and taking this time off in quarantine to study up on how they can become better and watching yeah. some of those livestock shows. So make sure you do that. Waltwebcasting.com. And, um, yeah, make sure you get some of these online shows, the cyber stock shows and the bracket busters. And there's a lockdown showdown now, I think is what they're calling yeah. it. So yeah, that, that's Brad the house weekend. deal. Going to be cool. Awesome stuff. And um, yeah. looking forward to it. Uh, Corey, I hope we don't take too long on here because I have more pigs to buy. Um, and as you know, there's this uh, little website that nobody knows of yet um, called showpig.com that I want to try oh, to yeah. purchase. Just something. entering the business. Yeah. Yeah, very new to the industry. Um, they really don't know what they're doing, but they're trying really hard. They got some fearless leader that doesn't have any hair. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, yeah, I, I really do. I'm still buying pigs. Um, the area around the Northeast Ohio here is uh, September shows, so we are buying heavily. 
And um, so hey, yeah, it may not be and it may not be a bad idea to buy hogs that age anyway right now. Just like find find you a couple to have in the barn. Yep, would not be a bad safety net. No, at this at this point in time, not at all. So, folks, if you're just listening and if you've never listened to a pig episode before, totally kidding on the show pig front. Um, the best place to buy your swine is showpig.com. They are the leaders in the industry when it comes to online sale platforms, selling thousands and thousands of head uh, per day, per week. And um, not only that, but they have specials. If you're in the the area to publish your services and your show pigs, if you're a sheep person listening to this episode, I'm sure you know somebody who has show pigs. Guide them to showpig.com. They have really, really awesome staff. Know each one of them personally. And a uh, great group of people there at showpig.com. Great group of pig people. That's right. So, Corey, um, we're going to announce something here that we've been yeah. sitting on forever. We're prematurely dropping a bomb that's going to happen later this week. But um, for our loyal listeners that tune in every Wednesday, we do have something big to, to share with you. And again, an idea birthed by none other than my co-host and counterpart and number one amigo. Trevor Kirkpatrick. Hola. The showman. The showman. The, so a showmanship contest. Here's here's what my thought was. These showmanship or these uh shows, cyberstock shows, virtual shows are incredible. And they are judging the animal. Rather, you know, there's a lot of those on there now. And we just saw Walton did theirs and the the American. Um, all very incredible livestock, but they're being judged by an evaluator who is picking them for the animal. Well, correct. I've hold showmanship very near and dear to my heart. I always have, rather I'm judging them, rather I'm one on the other end of the whip or whatever. And there's no showmanship contests out there. Until now. Until now, folks. The Stock Talk podcast, in partnership with Next Level Livestock Camp and virtual stock shows, is going to host The Showman. A showmanship contest in the hog division. Yeah, starting with pigs. Uh, we do have plans and ideas on other species that we are currently in the process of, and including in the showman realm. But that is right. Uh, we are going to throw a little teaser video with the logo, which I hope you like because that was my brainchild. Yes. And uh, <laughs> Trevor just has the big ideas. I just do the creative stuff. It's got to work side by side because I would have never thought of something that creative. <laughs> anyway, uh, but we will, Trevor and I are going to do a Facebook live on Monday, uh, April 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So tune in. Um, you ain't got nothing better to do. Kobe Bryant airs Sunday night. So, or not Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan. Sorry. RIP Kobe. <laughs> Um, also, dude, that freaking series is awesome. The, I need to have watch you watched it? it yet? I have not, have dude. Not. The MJ, the MJ series. I, I will argue till I'm blue in the face that Michael Jordan's greatest basketball player of all time. Um, and not that I don't. It's or skillful, but it's just a guy that has totally altered the game. Mm-hmm. Whoa! But anyway. Um, I digress. That was a good, that was a good deal. But so what I'm saying is, is you can watch that Sunday night and then watch Trevor and I's ugly faces on Monday night 
because we have uh, lots of details in this that we don't care to share on this podcast because we have a great episode coming up. But uh, the showman. The showman. And we're going to try to branch out into other species. But for now, we're going to start in the hogs. Like I yep. said, everybody knows a show pig person. Uh, reach out to them and tell them to follow us on Facebook to get us uh, guided into a Facebook Live happening on the 27th. Yeah. So um, I, if, if you are like, oh, how are they going to do this? Please tune in. It's it's, it's actually going to be super simple um, and, and very organized for all age divisions. We've got payouts out the wazoo. Uh, this is a jackpot style show. Yes. And there will be significant payouts. Um, Just got to tune in. I'm so excited. Yeah, I man, I'm pumped. It's it's gonna be good. But uh, we'll let that rest for just a couple days until we get to our Facebook lives. For now, we have Mr. Eric Shellhouse to get to, and I really enjoyed this episode as I do all of them. But um, a guy that is in the best state that you can live in in the country. Ooh. A Buckeye, and um, I tell you what, I uh, I keep learning a lot, and about the the brace boxes and different si- kinds of exercise, and um, there's a lot to be learned in this episode. So, Corey, hit him with it, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about a guy that has recently named a buck after a very popular Netflix series without posting a picture. That takes serious, serious guts. Also. We're talking about a man that has placed more sheep across the country than I have hairs on my head. We're also talking about a guy that sold myself and our partners at Sugar Creek Club Lambs, a very well-known buck in Hell on Wheels. Anyway, I digress. Sorry. Had to do a little plug there, Chuck. Uh Anyway, welcome to the show, Mr. Eric Shellhouse. Well, Eric, thanks for joining us, and uh, we're excited to get more sheep conversation. And before we dive into a lot of the topics we have for the listeners today, just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from, and of course, what you do on the day-to-day basis. Well, what I do on the day-to-day basis is probably uh, not as normal as, uh, it's it's a little abnormal right now, just because I'm just staying at home and raising sheep, but... Um, <laughs> You know, I am from Ohio, Delaware, Ohio. Um, we've got about 100 views. Um, hopefully that'll expand. Uh, that is the plan. Um, but, um, yeah, just raise sheep and trade some sheep. And uh, uh, normally I would be on the road constantly this time of year, but uh, the, the virus has has grounded me a little bit at home. So. Here we are, but uh, started off raising Dorset breeding sheep uh, in 4-H. It was a 4-H project. I was, I'm from a hog family. Um, we raised purebred Yorks and Hamp most of my childhood, and uh, I always wanted something different. Um, that being said, my only state fair champion, like junior show champion, was a pig. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I always wanted to do something, you know, that my grandfather and my dad didn't already know everything about. So I got into sheep. So, so, so was that, uh, 
your dad, David, was that his his deal or your grandpa's deal starting in the pig thing first? And then is that kind yeah, of... Yeah, they... Uh, so my grandpa was... Uh, had a Treaty side farm, which isn't around anymore, but, um, you know, raised originally Poland and then got into the Yorks and Hamps and, and was fairly competitive, uh, you know, in the 80s. So when my parents got married... Uh, my dad went to become the basically the herdsman for my grandfather, and uh, like we had the first ever champion York Ford Expo. Oh, that's, that's um, cool! And uh, so it was—I mean, they were heavy into it. I mean, it was full-on raising hogs, selling lots of boars. Um, back in the old days when there was like FPF, which was a health program, um, doing all that stuff, and uh, my aunt married a uh, sheep guy and uh, was about the time I started in 4-H and uh, they got into the Dorset business and I got two Dorset ewes and that was my first sheep. So, Well, the uh, the industry has changed a little bit since then for you. <laughs> uh, Completely, and, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, Trevor and I love talking about the history of how people get started and, and kind of where they get their roots. But so you started off with two Dorset U lambs. Uh, how did it escalate from there to where you guys are at now? Well, it's kind of been an interesting journey, I guess. So I had the Dorset breeding sheep uh, till I was in middle school. About then my grandfather decided to retire. Um, he kind of split the, the sow herd up um, between locations so my uncle took the home farm and my parents my mom and dad took really where they thought the best sows were and uh then formed a partnership with a fellow named bob hall in kentucky and at that point we moved from ohio to georgetown kentucky and uh he had a sow herd down there and we ran they ran that together uh as heartland livestock for two years and uh but while there bob also had a set of weather ewes that was the first time i ever had a black face weather sheep and uh first time i ever went to jackpot shows i was probably in sixth grade seventh grade and uh i loved it i loved going to all those jackpots i loved the you know showing every weekend and from there on, I just kept doing it. Uh, when when the Heartland deal kind of dissolved, we moved back to Ohio to the South herd that we had up here, and uh, I never stopped having weather sheep from there on out. Hmm. Um, the Dorsets very quickly once I got into the weather deal, um, kind of transitioned over. I mean, we were to the point in the Dorset deal where we either needed to get we were we were fairly competitive, uh, you know, for a fairly young flock, but. Uh, either we needed to get a really, really big buck and get serious about raising purebred dorsets, and or we needed to kind of transition them into weather sheep, and that's what we did. We ended up leasing a buck from some friends in Kentucky. Was a McElrath buck at the time. Uh, that was a big name. Yeah. And bred all the dorsets for speckles. It was really when the speckle thing just was getting started as being a breed classification, and. Uh, kind of just transitioned all those sheep into into weather sheep and some of them worked some of them didn't but at that time the, the there wasn't such a divide that you could kind of do that and uh 
we raised that set of sheep for a while, uh, dispersed them, uh, I guess, probably in the late 2000s. Um, actually, Terry Knudsen, Viking Club Lambs, bought, bought us out. Okay. Um, then at that point, my sisters, I was done showing. My sisters were showing, but my middle sister uh, was done. So it was just the youngest one. She didn't love the weather sheep. She didn't love doing it. And it was kind of just burnout. Everyone was burnout. Well, it didn't take long within, I don't know, uh, three months. We bought some frame hampus breeding sheep from some friends here in Ohio. And my sister enjoyed that. And so we got into the frame Hampshire business for about three or four years. Um, had some success there. She had champion hemp buck at Louisville on the junior show and sold some stud bucks to some fairly big named hemp breeders um, like Alps in Wisconsin and Boonster in Missouri. Um, and I always said I kind of wanted to get back into the weather deal. And if I found a set of ewes that I wanted, it had to be a set of ewes that was already established. It had to have some genetic consistency and it had to be the right number and the right money. Well, uh, Terry Harlan called me one day and said, Hey, I'm going to get rid of my ewes. Are you interested? And he had, I think, including you lambs, there was like 25 head. Hmm. And uh, I'd always, you know, Terry's kind of one of those industry legends. You think of Terry when you think of like JB Massey and, um, I said, yes. So then I had to find somebody to buy these samples so I could pay for them. So <laughs> thankfully that didn't take long. And, uh, we were on the road to Iowa to pick up a group of weather use. And that's where the current flock really got started. So, huh. uh, that's, that's it's, been, cool. it's been a journey ups and downs and different things have, have happened along the way, but that's where we're at. I will say now you guys in Ohio, I, I have always known to be a little different. And hey, now, Hey, easy now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I had to say it. I'm the, I'm the lone soldier here. Um, but you know, what, what's interesting is you brought up the speckle deal and what's in, what's different about Ohio is for some reason, the Ohio state fair likes to call them brockles. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and I, and I still don't get it, but I, I'm, I'm over it now, but, um, that that is a that is a breed classification that you guys have hit really hard here, especially recently. I mean, some high dollar lambs selling to some big names, um, but and just your success you've had in that particular ring um, is kind of interesting. But um, di let's dive into your U base a little bit. You know, you started with with kind of that group, I guess, um, here after a little bit of a reset. Um, you know. What, what are you guys trying to focus on um, the most? Obviously, we all want to breed uh, black-faced sheep that'll that'll hang the big banners. But um, what are some other breeds that you guys try to dive into uh, now with your with your growing flock? Well, yeah, honestly, the the Dorset thing, getting white-faced ewes was just uh, almost when 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 it happened, I looked at it as just a side project, kind of a fun. You know, I'm sick of looking at all all hamps. Because for once we got those used from Terry, I made very quickly the decision I wanted to focus on from a from a buck standpoint, bringing impact genetics in, and that's what we did. We bought several impact bucks and then several impact red bucks. Um, we used three impact bucks in a row. 
Um, that's Brian Riley from Wisconsin. And uh, we had very consistently white Hampshire youth. And just for uh, just for the fun of it, I was like, let's get a couple Dorset youth. And uh, I didn't put a bunch of money into it. The first few were, uh, I just bought some, some Dorset youth off of Stardust bred you online sale sight unseen um just to kind of see what they did and those things worked and every white female we have ever put into the flock to my remembrance um they have paid for themselves many times over i don't <laughs> know why we've been so successful with them um and we've since gotten a little more serious about it buying some dorset bucks and some white bucks and, and raising a few but uh it's everybody wants to have one off breed in their barn. Yep. You know, you can sell to the same person. You can sell them three blackface sheep, but you can only sell one white face. So it'll, it'll never be our main main goal because nobody wants to really put two specks or two dorsets in their barn. But uh, if you raise really good ones and just a few of them, then they can be very profitable. Right. So, yeah, that's a, uh... It's interesting. It seems like at our place, we can never have enough of them. Um, just because every, everybody that, that buys a blackface sheep, like you said, wants an off breed too. Um, and so I think yep. that's uh, pretty interesting um, to kind of think about, but yeah. You know, uh, a question cool. that I've had with some of the, the purebreds and stuff too, is um, you know, we we've had, it's kind of a, a different question, I guess too, but uh, in any livestock, you always talk about some of those those males that come out and you have a little bit of trouble taking the knife to, uh, rather they be white face or black face or whatever. Good stock's good stock. And we've talked to some of our show pig guests in the past of, you know, how do you really know which one to keep intact, which one to go in a, uh, a, a barra or a weather or a steer show with? And uh, I guess that's my question to you is, you know, you've kept some of those in, in the past. So how do you analyze those to keep them intact when it comes to keeping one a buck? There's a lot of factors that go into that. I, I think the ideal way is kind of the way we picked our keeper buck this year that I'm, that I'm holding back is when they're born, you're just like, wow. And it just, it just hits you when they're a day old and you know that there is a, really good chance you're going to keep that sheep buck that doesn't happen very often that's maybe only happened it maybe the first time it ever really happened to me was this year but when this thing was born i was like oh yep that's the one <laughs> and, it, and it worked out that he was bred right and had a really good mom that um we really need to start flushing but um i think that ideally to keep a buck that's the way you need to feel about it is from day one, you just love that thing. Um, but like the buck that has really, really worked for us this year, Jaegerbaum, um, you know, it took a little while for me to fall in love with him. I loved pieces about him. I really liked his mom. Um, but it was kind of the right thing at the right time. We figured out that the, the cross of hell on wheels on no effing way was working. It hit almost every time he was bred like that. He had really good pieces that we thought were, were big time. Um, and the consistency of that cross made us think we probably ought to keep this guy. And uh, 
so sometimes you just look at the big picture and and is is the way he's bred working throughout your flock and if that's the case then yeah you need to probably keep a few of those around and see what it does right um but like i said when one just hits you it hits you yeah i feel the same way about buying a buck if i walk into somebody's barn and i see one well in fact the buck we bought this year um i didn't really have an intention of of going to greg Beatty's and buying a buck for sure but i saw we call him Tiger King. I was going to say, we got to talk King. about the name of this sheep too. <laughs> yeah. I saw Tiger King and I thought, oh, I'm going to own him. <laughs> Folks want to take a quick break in the action to tell you about one of the best photographers in the country. And I would argue the world. Heidi Anderson and her team at Legacy Livestock Imaging is the place to go. Not only if you just want to buy a nice print to hang up in your house dress up that wall a little bit, or hire them to come to your show and capture incredible moments around the barn and in the ring, Legacy Livestock Imaging is the place to be. Make sure you get on their Facebook page and website, LegacyLivestockImaging.com, and study the amazing moments being captured by their team. Let's get back to the show with Eric. You said a couple things that I kind of want to talk about in, in more depth, and I, I am fascinated by, you know, I've, I was grown up around Jim McCoy as my great uncle and he too always talks about, well, what's her mother like? What's this one's mother like? And if they're interested in going out and purchasing a boar or, you know, in, in any good livestock, they are always backed by a good female line. And you've said it a couple times, you know, you got to study their mother. So I don't know if this is a question really or not, but I'm always interested in the fact of how much weight is put on the females. Uh, Of course, they got to be bred right on both sides, but um, how much of that is weighed? And I guess, is it by number of champions? Is it by how easy that they lamb out? Or is it just, this one's a freak and I think it can make a buck? You know, how much, or I guess there is emphasis, but what kind of emphasis is the question? I think, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of everything you just said. Um, I will say the, I have tried, I've bought females to try to make a buck out of that I thought were a freak that almost never works. (laughs) Um, It just, it, it, it doesn't work. Uh, They've, you know, they've maybe had nice sheep, but not been the stud buck raiser that I wanted them to be. We've spent a lot of money on some ewes that, um, like I said, have done a nice job, but I've never kept a buck out of. One of the most prolific females on our farm who was just bred fantastic. She was a bottle baby that kind of accidentally ended up in a group of ewes we bought from Heinemann's. Um, but she was a, a shower chicken on a pony daughter that was a folks, uh, the twin sister to a weather that they showed the one Iowa State Fair. That you, every male she's ever had has been a buck. We've never cut one, ever. Um, I paid 600 bucks for that you. <laughs> she is definitely the most valuable sheep on the farm. I mean, Struby's got a buck that he is using out of her. Um, we've kept a buck lamb out of her. She's, she's just good. Huh. Now, did I buy that you thinking I was going to make stud bucks out of her? No. I bought her to make weathers. I mean, I Here, here's a bargain sheep that can throw muscle. <laughs> right. And, uh, but, but she was bred, right? She was a good looking rip. She was skinny and little, but you could tell the pieces were there. Um, but 
I think it's it, it. I think there is some value to shooting for the stars. You're going to get a lot more throwaway that way, but occasionally it'll hit. But I like the consistency. I mean, I do this for a living, so I I can't have a lot of throwaway. Mm-hmm. So I need to have good sheep that I can market almost all of them. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the female thing is super important to me on keeping a buck because she, I rarely will keep a buck out of a first time you now Jaeger bomb was out of a first timer. Um, but her mother had done a great job for us. She was a very nice show you. Um, and you know, did it and did what she was supposed to do this year had another one, another one that we left the nuts in and sold him as a buck already. So, um, but like the mother of the buckland we're keeping this year, which is yet to be named, um, we sold half interest in a buck out of her two years ago. She had our Divas U last year. She had two keeper U's, one of which has hit a home run every year. Um, she's just a good rip. She herself was a show U. She was champion commercial U at Arkansas State Fair. So just consistency, yeah. I think, is super important to me. Um, especially when I'm looking at keeping a buck, it needs to be a consistent U line that doesn't fail very often. Yeah. It's, uh, what's interesting too, about that is the, you talked about the, the cheap you that got it done. You know, it's, it's stuff like that though, that a lot of people probably don't realize happens probably more than what you'd think. Um, and, and the fact that there are genetic pieces out there that just flat work, and you don't necessarily have to have the $40,000 or $30,000 donor you um, to try to make bucks with. Um, the fact is, is uh, sometimes you just find a mating that works and, and you find sheep that throw consistency. And, and I think um, what's so cool about that is you have all, that, that kind of opportunity opens the door for both making stud bucks and show weathers and use and stuff that you can kind of build, build around too. So. As I've said yep. before, Corey, price only determines ownership, not quality. Right. Well, one of my favorite things, uh, like in our previous iteration of having the weather sheep before we sold out the first time, we had started buying bucks from Ellerbrock. And um, Brad Ellerbrock always told me, he said, keep the ugly twin sister, sell the one you can make money on and keep the ugly twin sister. She'll be the producer. <laughs> and there's some truth to that. So, Wow. Yep. Um, you know, this year we sold all of our early U lambs mainly because we had a lot of singles. We had a lot of U lambs, and we made the decision any black faced U lamb born before January fifteenth was going to get sold because we have to make money, and we're keeping all these late ones, which is is fine. Um, but you you know you got to sell the ones that are going to make you money and and keep the ones that that you can afford to keep. Right now. So when it comes to, and I just uh, have thought about that I, and I, something that always intrigues me to get, because there's some differing opinion on, on this, but you know, when it comes to keeping back you lambs, what's kind of your strategy when breeding those? Um, obviously if you're doing it for a living, sometimes you have to breed the you lambs to, to get them started. Um, mm-hmm. early. um, some people don't like that. They like to wait till they're yearlings. Um, some people don't like to AI you lambs or AI yearlings even, uh, what's your what's your theory or strategy on on doing that? Is it just gonna figure it out or? We make- always expose our U Um We've done that forever. 
I think part of it is kind of the hog background that I've got. Um, and plus I, I worked for PIC for five years and, uh, and did guilt collection and, and a big thing that they push in the commercial hog industry is, you know, those, those gilts need to be bred up early and they need to like, once they farrow, you need to fill them up, give them a piglet for every teat, mm -hmm. um, for mammary development. And I, I think there's some, honestly, some real truth to that in sheep too. If you have a ewe that can have twins and will take care of them, obviously, you know, you got to feed them maybe a little bit harder, but they'll be better mothers and better milkers their whole life than if you leave them till they're yearling. I don't think I notice any difference because we'll send some ewe lambs south to Texas or Oklahoma to, for people to jackpot. Mm -hmm. and get them back so those don't get bred until they're yearlings i don't see a bit of difference in the quality of mothering ability in those ewes that we didn't breed until they were yearlings compared to the ones that we breed as ewe lambs hmm. now what about from a conception standpoint obviously conception is going to be better as yearlings um we don't ai any of the ewe lambs they're all bred natural um and yeah there's a certain portion that just don't breed as ewe lambs um, I find the ones that we've, you know, loaned out for people to show are less likely to breed as ewe lambs, but, uh, for, I don't know, for whatever reason, but, um, I think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is what it is. We take them as kind of a bonus babies, whatever ewe lambs breed, breed, and, uh, the ones that don't, don't. But uh, I don't get real hard on calling anything that didn't breed as a ewe lamb. Right. Um, but we get, a, I'd say, 75% of them get hmm. bred. Yeah. So. Can't argue with the numbers sometimes. You just got to do it. Um, right. And we've got a good, if, if I didn't have a market in Texas and Oklahoma for those later born ones, we, I might change my tune. We've got a very good market in Texas and Oklahoma. So I can use the late born sheep out of those ulams they're worth almost as much to me as a, as a december or january <laughs> no doubt well Corey, i uh, think it's time to jump in to a segment we like to call topics from a hat and of course it's brought to you by fierce threads just be nice you don't <laughs> take no talent to just be nice folks topics from a hat is brought to you by our friends at fierce threads and we heard those words spoken by Mr. Will Winter at Denver. And like many of you, our folks at Big Paul Lifestyle Company were inspired. We all know that suicide is not an easy subject to talk about, and it can be scary to confront. But by encouraging each other to be nice, we can make a difference, a meaningful difference. So Big Paul partnered with the winners to bring Be Nice Apparel to our industry as a way to inspire acts of kindness and raise money to support the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. The line of apparel boldly asks you to be nice, but it takes a step further. The semicolon shaped used to share Will's inspirational words means a great deal in the fight to combat suicide. It's used to show that this is not the end of a sentence. It's not the end of a life just a moment to pause and consider the possibilities that lie ahead. 
And in these moments of darkness and uncertainty, will you be there with a kind word? Will you reach out and extend an offer of friendship? Will you choose to be kind? The Be Nice line of apparel is available for a limited time, and you can shop the Be Nice collection at www.bigpaullifestyle.com. Well, such a lengthy read, but a very nice read by our great friends at Fierce Threads. And, uh, Corey, thanks for jumping in on that. So our topic comes from Chris on Facebook, and he wants to know uh, why is there such a gap between those breeding sheep folks, quote-unquote, and those market lamb folks, quote-unquote. So, Eric, I'd love to get your take on uh, the gap between the industry within the industries uh, and uh, what you think there is between the breeding sheep and the market sheep people. Hey, hot take here. I'm, I have lots of lots to talk about this too. <laughs> well, I think that you kind of have to go back. First of all, I, I can appreciate both. Um, I've raised both breeding sheep and market lambs. And, um, you know, the, the God's honest truth is I don't think I could make a living uh, raising breeding sheep. Um, and that's why I prefer the weather sheep. That being said, I mean, I don't think there really was a divergence until maybe the, you know, early nineties is when the two industries started to separate and, um, and they've just kind of done that and they've become two totally separate things. So yeah, there's a huge gap. I don't even look at them as the same industry. It's two totally different things. Um, but to me, the biggest difference is I don't know of anybody other than maybe Kuykendalls who fit for a living, um, who make a living raising frame sheep. Um, it's, it's a hobby. Whereas I know plenty of, got, of people making a living raising weather sheep. Um, so I, I think... I think both are great. I think it's it's going to be a sad day if the breeding sheep deal totally goes away. Um, but I think it's been in kind of a slow decline for a long time. So yes, um, I guess my my hot take here is is why there is such. Um, I think maybe an overarching lack of respect between the two. Um, you know both sides i think make fun of each other quite a bit yeah um and and what i think is what is disappointing is is that can we not sit back and recognize that there's there's quality livestock in both rings and there's quality people in both rings and if one disagrees and, and here's where i think the real the real disdain is is that you know frame sheet people disagree with the use of club lambs or at least that's that's the the thought process uh of the of the purpose of these sheep they're not traditional um they're not how sheep are supposed to be and then the club lamb people kind of look at the opposite and say you old school um you know frame sheep breeders don't understand that you know you're in a dying industry um and and maybe maybe that's where the the separation is and and i'm fascinated with both will i ever raise frame sheep no um, but I do think that they're fascinating. I love to evaluate them, um, just the same. 
it's just uh, like you said it's a different arena it's a different world uh than the one that we live in in, in the weather sheep game but uh, i think that there there's a a huge lack of respect coming from both sides. And that's probably where the biggest differentiator is between, between it all. And it frustrates the ever living heck out of me that we have to, you know, sit on the sidelines and nobody can cross aisles and shake hands and, and talk livestock with each other. I mean, on, on a bigger mm-hmm. scale, I'm not saying there's not people that don't do it. Um, and, and I'm friends with those people, but it's just interesting to, to me that, you know, there can be such disregard for, and acceptance from both sides. Right. Well, there's, I mean, there's just some basic philosophical differences, I think, within the two industries. Um, and I agree. I think it's, it's sad that, that we can't, you know, appreciate what the other one's doing. But to me, it all comes down to, there's very little relationship with what either one of us are raising, frame sheet mm-hmm. people or weather people, to a viable commercial animal. So I look at it as, as we're raising show ponies. Both of us are mm-hmm. um, for two different rings. We might as well be raising Bernie's mountain dogs. I got to give a shout out to my Bernie's mountain dogs <laughs> and, and showing dogs. Um, so we're both in very niche industries. I think, uh, I don't know how to say this without sounding, uh, judgmental i think that there's a lot of weather people who understand that um that this you know there's just not a lot of uh of relationship to the commercial industry to the extent that we have a commercial sheep industry in the u.s right uh i think frame sheep people oftentimes like to think that you know the fact that their sheep grow faster makes them what the real industry wants. Now, the reality of it is, it's not the sheep that wins in the ring at Louisville that you want to turn out on the range in Nevada. Exactly. Um, Because they're going to die real fast. In in both rings. In both rings. It's something in the middle. Mm -hmm. But we shoot for extremes. I mean, that's kind of how any competitive thing is you shoot for extremes because that's the hardest thing to do and uh but the you know the reality is somewhere in the middle is what is what you need to you know if you wanted to do this from a commercial standpoint is what you're after right and i think that's really for any industry i mean you know the 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 show pig deal i used to think was the closest thing to commercial hogs um but i think it's diverged from that Uh very quickly yeah and at this point there's no relation you know when i worked for pic the, the pic guys it was the funniest thing when we go to expo and i'd be working in the tent or the booth and uh some of our geneticists or whatever would go and walk through the the barn you know the show and come back and their takes on what the show pigs were <laughs> and they were always just amazed and it's the same thing the same attitude that breeding sheep people have when they walk through a weather sheep barn. Right. So that's um, interesting. I don't know that it's specific to the sheep industry, but I think you just see it so much because there are two different show rings in the sheep industry. Right. Right. Yeah. And that is, that is very interesting. Um, I just, 
I just find it so interesting. And I, I guess I never would have realized it, I guess, as much um, given just the the people that I'm around. Um, but until I was in Sedalia, um, you know, kind of working with the sale management team, I guess I didn't truly realize just how divided it was um, until that moment. And that was kind of uh, maybe a little bit of a shock for me just because I'm used to to run in multiple circles and, and just, you know, everybody kind of getting along at least for the most part. So it's kind of, it was interesting for me to see that, I guess, but mm-hmm. very good question, Chris, really appreciate it. Yeah. Kind of a hot topic. I, I would, I would assume that's been around for, for a while or at least on everybody's mind. Yeah. Well, uh, you've kind of mentioned when we opened up this episode that you would be traveling all over the country if it wasn't for this coronavirus. And I would assume that would be to uh, get some sheep placed as you do frequently all over the country. So what I'm asking you to do is just kind of walk us through that process of finding those sheep and helping those families achieve their goals. Yeah. So actually I'm kind of slowing down a little bit by design on, uh, on placing, but I still do have clients that I place sheep with. Um, but I've maybe done it differently than some other guys that, that are traders. Um, everything I do is on order only. So I don't go out and just blindly buy every sheep I like. I mean, I need to get a client's budget, what their goals are, and I try to find sheep to fit those goals. Um, but yeah, so, and I, and I did, did some traveling this year, but less than normal, but, um, you know, I'll go out, I'll find the sheep that I like, um, get those bought and, you know, there's going to be a bit of a markup for, um, you know, my time and travel, but, uh, as a general rule, the real profit in doing trading sheep for me is like, uh, you know, they'll pay a, a fee for me to consult, basically. It's consulting mm-hmm. as much as anything. So it's finding the sheep and then consulting on how to take care of it, how to fit it, how to feed it, how to show it, how to... Um, so a lot of that is done in person, but a lot of it's also done, thankfully, to with technology, with FaceTime or videos mm-hmm. um, for those that are far away. I mean, I try to try to see everybody in person as often as I can, but, you know, you can't be in Wyoming every week. Right. So, uh, but those clients will send me videos and we'll kind of discuss what they're seeing on their end in terms of speed and, and make adjustments weekly. Yeah. So we just had an awesome interview with uh, Ernest Donahue where he kind of talks about his, his process of working with show families and finding those families that um, help him, you know, make a living uh, off of being a, a quote unquote show pig jock that he hates. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, one of I the, prefer the term trader. Trader, yeah, like yeah. A tra- trader, trader does <laughs> probably look a little better on a business card too. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but you know, when it comes to to those families that you're you're helping out um, and, and consulting, how how does a person and and I don't really know how to phrase this question, but how does a person um, that is that is an interested show family in finding somebody that can that help them through the process. Um, you know, if you know any of those kind of families out there or are looking for any, um, 
how do how does a person go about finding somebody that they trust and uh, can help them get get started? Well, I guess or maybe more competitive, I should say. Right. Uh, I mean, you just have to talk to people. I mean, uh, I've gotten clients from you know states where I've already got families because they see the success of of those other families. Um, I, you know have gotten clients from just people striking up conversation in the check-in line at Louisville huh. and just shooting the shit. Oops, I probably shouldn't cut us on here, but um, <laughs> while you're in check-in and, uh, and it, you know, and you just develop those relationships kind of organically, but you know, obviously with social media, you know, who's winning, you know, who's, who's being competitive and, a lot of times the first person to reach out to me is the kid, not so much the parents, especially cool. older kids. That's so, a, yeah. um, and I, I like it that way, but I mean, the hardest thing for me has always been, I want to try to help everybody or get everybody a sheep that wants one. But the reality is, and what I've had to learn is a, not everybody can afford to do what, I want them to do to be competitive. Like they just don't have the budget to reach the goals that they have. And boy, that's the hardest thing to tell a kid mm. is that, Hey, you know, I'd love to help you, but your budget's 1500 bucks. And I don't think we're going to be able to win your state fair with that. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you're better off just going and finding a sheep yourself. Yeah. That is, that is a challenging navigation to, to go around that. And, you know, sometimes I, I get it fully. Everybody's different. And, um, you know, some of the things that I've done in the past is, you know, if, if they're just getting started or their budget a little bit more limited, uh, showmanship doesn't cost anything. And if that's something they want to focus on to get more competitive at, uh, then hopefully, you know, each year it, uh, it gets a little bit easier for them. Um, but that is, that's a good point of, you know, how do you, how do you tell a kid that, you know, everybody wants to win the state fair, but unfortunately more times than I just said, uh, price only determines ownership and not quality, but you don't buy a, on a certain stage, it just doesn't, you, you got to meet the standard of, you don't buy a Honda Accord to win the Indy 500. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, I think there's differences in a, in a breeding program, genetics makes up for one, maybe not looking as does not having the bells and whistles and thus not being worth as much money. Right. The, you've got the genetics, but in the show ring genetics are, doesn't matter at all. I mean, I've bought some leathers that I thought were just bred horrendously, but turned out to be really good sheep, but I would <laughs> never wanted to use them as a buck. Right. Because I thought there was no consistency in their pedigree. So that's the difference in buying weathers and buying bucks is with a weather. I mean, yes, genetics come into play because you can get some more predictability that way and, and know what they're going to do. But if there's one that I just flat have to have and I hate the way he's bred, it doesn't matter at all to me how he's bred. I'm going to buy that sheep and try to win shows with him. Yep. No doubt. Yeah. Pause times two. And I have to talk to you about another legacy. That's the stock talk. Build your legacy scholarship. Folks, I don't know what it's going to take to get people to apply for a thousand dollar scholarship, other than the fact that we've tried to tell you here for weeks. Um, but 
if you are between the ages of 16 and 21 as of January 1st this year, or know somebody between the ages of 16 and 21 as of January 1st this year, please tell them to visit stocktalk-podcast.com and apply for the Stock Talk Build Your Legacy Scholarship because they have a chance to win $1,000 in a feature on a future episode at Stock Talk. Applications must be submitted by midnight, May 29th, pre-expo. Let's go get those scholarships in. We're really excited to pick a winner and really excited to get back to the interview with Mr. Eric Schilhaas. So um, what uh, what would you say to some of those families, uh, with especially their, their market sheep, that uh, what are some of the exercising practices that you've put into play uh, with some of the, the families that you're helping out? And um, what would you advise some to try and, and incorporate into their own programs? Well, I think, I think probably a bigger problem um, with a lot of families is the desire to over-exercise. Um, we don't start exercising pretty much, you know, in terms of a significant way. And there's differences, you know, obviously there's exceptions, but they better be 120 pounds before you start putting them on a treadmill. Hmm. Um, you know, get them on there early to get them kind of broke to it, but we don't work them hard until they get big enough and they've grown and start putting some cover on. Hmm. I think that one of the biggest problems I have or not problems, challenges I have with my families is, is getting, allowing, getting them to allow their sheep to get fat enough before they want to start exercising. Um, cause I don't want to exercise. You've got to have enough cover to be smooth. And if you start exercising them when they're little, you're never going to get there. Hmm. You're, you're just fighting an uphill battle. Hmm. Um, that being said, you got to start with sheep that have enough muscle to do that. Um, but also even if you have a sheep that's pretty and not super thick, exercising them is not necessarily, you know, exercising them hard is not going to help you. You may develop a little bit of muscle, but you're just working all the fat off that sheep and they'll always look big and raw and stale. So, um, but we, that being said, we incorporate treadmill. Um, that's my preferred form of exercise. I also think very a very valuable tool and it's not so much an exercise tool as it is a showmanship tool is a walker um mm -hmm. that mainly is to get them on there so the sheep know what speed to walk at you know those kids that you see at national shows that I, you know way more than you would see at a county fair is because it can just walk a sheep one-handed that the sheep just walks perfectly with them those kids are using a walker and that's how they're training those sheep to walk that speed huh. um yeah so I think that's a very important tool. In fact, when I have families that, you know, those are two both fairly expensive pieces of equipment, they'll ask, you know, this year it's not in the cards to get both, which one's more important? I have them buy the walker first. Yep. Makes sense. That's pretty cool. Yeah, the the uh there's so many so many tools available, I guess, for for training lambs and and uh, especially trying to build muscle and and those types of things. Um and and what's cool is the innovation that some people have with just, you know, if they can't afford to go and buy the, you know, $3,000 treadmill, maybe they just go buy a, a, an, a used one somewhere and build a box around it. Um, sure. 
that just kind of all works the same. Uh, and yep. it's kind of, it's kind of, kind of neat to watch, uh, watch how some people just kind of make the best of their situation. And maybe you don't need to go spend that much money on a treadmill. I'm not saying that those treadmills aren't very nice and they don't work well, but if you don't have the budget, you can still make one. Right. Yep. It's all about how much effort you want to put in. Right. You what, can make uh, up for a lot of things with effort. Yeah. What, what's your, what's your feelings on uh, the brace boxes and the stands? I know there's, and, and I'm not for or against them. I just, you know, it's another tool in the, in a toolbox. Do you have a lot of families that utilize those? Um, so there's a couple different interpretations of brace box. Some people talk about a brace box being like a, just a, an elevated platform, um, that you use to kind of get them trained and, and back them off of. We use those a lot. I think that is a valuable thing, but I think you got to work them on the ground too. If you just work them on the brace box, they're only going to, you know, think that they have to drive when they're up there. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the ones that, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a shoot that you, you know, tie them into to try to kind of break them to stand still. Uh, we've, I've had one of those. I don't think I saw the value in it. Um, I think what we often use, uh, to get a sheep to keep its head up and to, to kind of stand in place is hang a line from like the middle of a barn where a sheep can't doesn't have anything to climb on top or you know get its feet on and attach bungee cords to that like a chain mm. and then you kind of attach that to the halter of the sheep so you know there's some tension there they have to keep their head up at the right angle and uh but there's nothing for them to climb on so, right uh, that's kind of a idea from some from horse people they do that to horses that you know they'll they'll they come basically in the middle of a field where there's nothing for them to, to do other than learn to just stand. Mm. So, uh, I, to me, the, the brace box in terms of just being an elevated platform is, is a valuable tool and it's yeah. cheap and easy to make. Right. You yeah. know, um, I don't know that the other kind is anything that I, I think it's, I see where they're coming from. I've in practice though, I've not found it to be particularly useful. Interesting. Interesting. Um, now I want to dive back into, to the breeding program and we've done this with several folks and I, I love it because it's like, it, a, it puts people on the spot, but B it's really kind of neat just to, to see, uh, how far people reach back sometimes. Uh, so what are some of the best ones that you've raised and maybe I'll include ones that you've placed as well. Um, and, and with that, let's create a Mount Shell House, like top four best ones ever. And we could include huh. used bucks, weathers, you name it. Okay. Uh, in terms of best ones I've raised or placed, um, you know, I feel like you're all, in terms of raising sheep, it's always an uphill climb. I, I feel like we've improved and improved. And Honestly, the job Jaegerbaum did for us this year, uh, he's got to be right there at the top for me. Um, I, I like the sheep as a lamb, but in terms of as a sire, uh, we've sold bucks out of him. He's he's made a lot of money. Um, he's just done such a good job for us. So he's got to be right there at the top of sheep that we've raised for me. Um, 
And there certainly have been others. You know, we've had a sheep that was reserve granted Fair Texas. Uh, the sheep that won his class at Houston this year. I had several people that I really, really respect that thought he was one of the best sheep at Houston this year. Um, so pretty proud of that one. Um, but yeah, I'd say Jaeger Bomb probably for me is right now the, the best one we've raised. And, and not based on just the way he looks, but the way he's performed. Right. Um, in terms of the best one I've ever placed, uh, probably my favorite sheep that I ever placed was the sheep Kyle Cox had reserve at Louisville with in, oh gosh, I'm not sure what year, 15 maybe, 16, something like that. Uh, maybe 17. Anyway, the reserve at Louisville. He was a sheep that I actually kind of found later in the game. He was shown at, uh, at Exarbon and he was like fourth in class, but I was like, that sheep needs to come home with me. That sheep needs to, you know, he's going to be competitive with who was judging Louisville, which was, was my carver. And luckily was able to get him bought and got him into Kyle's hands and Kyle got him shown. And it was, I, I very distinctly remember the moment he was in class and uh, Craig Green <clears throat> looks over to me. That sheep came from uh, Eagle Rock in Idaho or in uh, Utah and uh, looks over to me. He goes, is that the Utah sheep? And I said, yeah. And he goes, he looks incredible. And I was like, you know what? You're right. He does. He looks really <laughs> incredible. And uh, I just was, I was very proud of that sheep. I, I was very proud of the job that Kyle did with that sheep. And uh, he'll, his picture, well, Corey maybe have noticed is hanging in our barn. So, I did. Yes, I've seen it. Um, but that one's got to be probably my favorite one. Now this, that story is so cool because uh, of just the, the, we always talk about the amount of things that have to go right to win a big one or to get a piece of a big one. Um, and you're talking about the granddaddy of pretty much all weather shows. Some people would argue that, but I mean, for us Midwestern guys, that's, that's the sheep show you want to win um, or, or be a part of, I mean, having reserve at Louisville, geez, it's tough enough just to get uh, pulled for a top five in a class sometimes, but um, that's a, that's so cool. Just the things that had to, that sheep had to fall into the right hands at the right time to make it to where he did. Um, pretty cool. Exactly. Exactly. So, well, time for a much anticipated segment. Social smash. Social smash brought to you by Brad Hell Ford, located in Kokomo, Indiana. Very thankful for our friends at Brad Hell Ford for being a part of stock talk podcast. Go check them out. And uh, buy a new vehicle. Interest rates are low. That's right. That is <laughs> right. Love our folks at Brad Howe Ford. So, Eric, uh, we've before we got on air here, this is one that you uh, had a star by, you told, told us. So, uh, as you know, Social Smash is voicing your industry or social media pet peeves and maybe how we can improve them. So, let's hear it. Well, my, my biggest pet peeve, and it's something that continues to happen all the time, is... Stop tagging me in pictures of your sheep that I have nothing to do with. <laughs> um, you know, it, it happens all the time. And I get it. I get, you know, you want maybe me to look at your post or you just want me tagged so people think I've got something to do with it. 
uh, but it irritates the heck out of me. Um, I'm trying to sell my own sheep. Um, you know, and if it's out of a buck that I sold, or if it's, you know, somebody tagging me in a picture of a, a sheep that they raised that's out of a, out of something of my genetics, I am all for that. That's great. But if I have nothing to do with it, I, I just, it drives me nuts. Huh. And, uh, and I've heard this from other people too, but yeah, that's, that's my biggest pet peeve on social media. Can't say I blame you. Uh, yeah, there's got to be some kind of motive behind that, I guess, if you're not involved with it at all. Or, you know, when sales season comes around, that's when typically everybody kind of wants you to put eyes on that post. But that's a good, we don't hear that very often, but I have heard it a couple times on the show. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I would say that would be a pet peeve. Yeah, for sure. Now, we cannot, uh, we cannot forget the, the amount of memes that are made on the internet nowadays um and i will say <laughs> there has been some memes circulating and not necessarily on uh facebook or anything like that uh mostly snapchat memes uh-huh. which which i do thoroughly enjoy um but uh i also maybe would caution people to be careful of who you make memes out of nowadays yeah i mean for yeah, sure i'm all i'm all for a good laugh don't get me wrong but but uh just, just be careful. Just be careful. That's all I'm gonna say. Anyways, I will uh, take all the Carol Baskin memes I can get. So keep making those. <laughs> those are great. Yeah, keep making those. Not worried about that. Um, yeah, all the Tiger King memes. I'm, I'm all for that. Speaking of Tiger King, when are we gonna, when are we gonna get a picture of that guy on the internet? So our, our buck partner, uh, which is Picture Perfect Club Lambs, on him. Uh, they, we partner on almost all of our bucks with them. Um, was picking him up today oh, so boy. he will he is going to make his way slowly back to ohio probably first of may and then we'll see where he's at condition wise and probably get him sheared again i like to have a couple weeks at least growth on a buck before we picture him but uh i'd say look for a picture by mid-june I would mid-june think. okay heck yeah i'm anxious so to see him we're we're pretty pumped i honestly i haven't seen him other than Greg Beatty sends me Snapchats of him every morning almost. And uh, <laughs> I haven't seen him in person since we bought him, but I've heard good things from the guys that have been through there. And like I said, he was one that I saw and just knew, like, we got to own that one. That's the next piece. What is his pedigree for the people listening? So he is a strictly business, Ollie, uh, dirty banana hammer. So he's Whoa. quite a bit of Johnson genetics. Um, which, you know, we incorporated some Johnson genetics when we bought hell on wheels and that worked obviously very well for us. Hopefully works very well for you, Corey. Thank you. Um, (laughs) we do too, (laughs) but, uh, uh, there's also some, you know, other stuff in there that I think kind of makes him unique in terms of adding that extra fuzz and, and the thing about him, and this goes back to the consistency thing. Not only was he exceptionally good, Beatty's are keeping a brother to him out of the same flush. There were two weathers in that flush, one of which I bought for 5,000 bucks, and the other one I think brought 4,600. And I thought possibly the best two ewe lambs on the farm were in that flush. That tells me that, you know, I can be fairly confident about this one. Stuff might work there. Yeah. And with a name like Tiger King, I hope you make a lot of them just so that we can go 
and, and talk about having Tiger King in a pedigree. <laughs> exactly. I think on my online sales, if it's out of Tiger King next year, I'm going to uh, introduce them as Tiger Kittens. <laughs> like, this is this is one of the best tiger kittens we have born this year. <laughs> oh that's hilarious uh and that's the, good. the names to branch off of that are pretty unlimited i would say oh it's crazy it it makes me feel really bad because i'm really proud of the the buckland we kept and i can't think of a name for him that even comes close to tiger king it, <laughs> it's been a real challenge usually i'd have a buck name by now but we haven't come up with anything yet. well there's <laughs> a there is an exotic joe uh boar i believe it's the mock crew yeah. Um, that they've named exotic or Joe exotic. And Joe exotic. okay. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of them out there starting to be named that, but, um, so I knew, I knew I had like, when I watched tiger King, it, it, it was after we bought the buck and I was like, it was kind of starting to get to be a big deal. And, and you know, you gotta be a little careful cause there's going to be a shelf life on that. But I think that made a big enough impression that people will still get the reference even yeah five years down the road, but oh yeah, um, I knew if I didn't put some kind of announcement up without a picture, but just immediately that name was going to go real quick. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so I you... staked my claim as quickly as I could. <laughs> you kind of had to, uh, when, whenever the opportunity rises with something like that, you just kind of have to jump on it. It's especially yep. with good names. Cause somebody, somebody else will think of it or if nobody else thought of it and they hear that you're going to do it, and they claim at first it's kind of you know oh yeah names are one of those things i'm i'm a fairly sharing person i i you know i'll if you ask me i'll generally tell you whatever you want to know but i do not share my potential buck names i've got a list (laughs) on my phone and and that is one of my most closely guarded things yes i uh i even have mine actually on my phone so that if somebody ever grabs a hold of it in my notes section it's labeled something completely like just normal uh, I won't tell you what the label groceries. is. Just so no, <laughs> it's not groceries. I will say it's not groceries, but something stupid like that to where like, oh, nobody thinks about it. And then I hit enter a few times so you can't read what's underneath. Wow. Super right. security. I'm, I'm pretty guarded with my, I've got a long list of names. Now, if we ever create enough sires that are worthy of those names, um, will be a different story, but I at least have a, in the bank to use. Yeah. Yeah, you can't trust anybody with your buck names. Even your closest friend will turn on you and steal a buck name. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. Yep. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. We are, Trevor and I are, are livestock name enthusiasts, yes. I think, as most of us are that are addicted to this thing. Yep. Yep. Well, yep. Eric, I'd be curious to know as we uh, are headed towards the end of this episode, where do you think this show lamb deal is headed towards the future? Well, that's a loaded question i guess right now yeah um, po- post covid 19 yeah <laughs> yeah let's say 19 right when normalcy is in play well you know the question is what well, is there going to be a new normal i mean where what what is what is going to change permanently uh but in terms of just assuming there was no covid 19 i um i think we do need to talk a little bit though about these virtual shows mm-hmm. um you know i think that in fact, I've got one of my kids bringing her sheep up this afternoon. We're going to video for a virtual show. Um, you know, is that something that might stick around a little bit after, you know, once we have live shows? Um, and how is that going to change, you know, the way we raise these things? Um, but, you know, like everything, there's, we made them little and thick for a long time. I think we're making them bigger and prettier now. 
Um, but that's a cycle you can just watch in every single industry uh, of show animals. It doesn't matter. I mean, there's always the, we make them extreme in one way and then we swing back the other way. Mm-hmm. It's a constant pendulum. And so, yeah, right now I think the, there's a lot of focus on making them tall fronted and cool looking. Um, and in 10 years, we're going to go back to making them little and thick. <laughs> so, uh, it's, you know, I think your success depends on your ability to have one foot in the middle, but also be flexible enough to change kind of your selection criteria on your breeding stock to fit the realities of what's winning. Um, so I don't know that that's really an answer to your question, but, uh, I, I just think that, you know, there's, there's always that, that pendulum swing. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we, uh, we often talk about people's ability to cross species now and it's becoming more and more popular. You don't see, um, you don't hardly see any one family just show one species. Um, a lot of times now, especially with the way this, this goat deal has exploded. Um, also, I, I personally could see, uh, the, the sheep and goat ring, um, diversifying a little bit more than it has in the past. Um, you know, the, there's, there's some, some, uh, very competitive show families out there that have won a lot in one species and not that they get bored of winning, uh, who would get bored of winning, but, you know, maybe they just want a new challenge. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to seeing how, or if that theory gets proved, proved correct. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, almost every family that I help shows something else too. Um, and the sheep and goat things is fairly easy fit. Not that there's that much overlap in terms of, of, of what you need to do to be competitive. I, I think people think there is, but there's, there's a lot of differences, but just from a practical housing and equipment standpoint, you know, it's so similar. So there's, I mean, I, I would say 75% of the kids I help with sheep show goats too. So, right. um, just cause it's an easy way to have another species. What's, uh, what's next for Shellhouse livestock. You talked about expanding. What do you, what's, what's the overarching goal for you guys? You know, eventually I'd like to, basically double the youth flock um we're right now a little bit limited just facility wise to about 100 ewes um the hope is soon to to have a different facility um and uh and just keep trucking along keep making sheep i like um and hope other people like them too love it now are you guys uh you guys dry lot everything now uh we we have some pasture but okay this time of year i mean obviously everything's dry lotted i don't have anything out turned out to pasture yet but but we do use pasture uh this year we're going to do some something a little different and and not breed nearly as much on pasture as we have in the past um hopefully there's pay for us to be able to feed uh, if it stops raining uh <laughs> but um We've had some issues with Cache Valley disease, and uh, I attribute that to those ewes being on pasture where there might be some standing water, and uh, 
that's hard to control. We don't have any ponds or anything, but you know, that's spread by mosquitoes. And so I think if we can kind of dry lot the ewes for breeding, then uh, we might be able to kind of control that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Now I've read, uh, I've read some stories. I don't know if you've seen this. There's uh, there's a research study and I cannot remember where it's happening. I believe somewhere across the pond um, about nutritional differences in determining sex on lambs. I don't know if you've seen I think it. I read the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's kind of interesting too. Cause you would think uh, I think what is it? The difference in omega three and omega sixes in the diet uh, determine, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out if that determines sex or not. And uh, I find it interesting because if you think about, um, you know, a heavy grain diet for sheep, you know, obviously it will be a little bit higher in omega sixes. And, uh, and I think, I think the study said that um, a higher omega six diet would result in more male progeny. And so I don't know, I I would find that interesting. So if, if you uh, see a lot more breeding, you know, in a dry lot setting where you're having to feed more grain, I'd be interested to see if you get more male sheep. Well, I mean, plenty of our bucks breed on a dry, in a dry lot setting already. And if, you know, our small sample size is anything to say about it, that that did not hold true for us this year because we were very female heavy. <laughs> yeah. Um, that being said, I don't know that it really matters to me that much. Um, I know a lot of people really, really want to raise more males in this industry. Uh, our market for females is extremely good. We may not have that, you know, I'm not going to raise a $20,000 U like you might raise a $20,000 buck. Uh, but I average better on ewe lambs than I do on weathers. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's all about the average, um, which I think if you're trying to do this for a living, it's got to be. So, yeah. you know, it didn't hurt my feelings. It's a lot harder to sell the good ones when they're ewe lambs. Um, that's the biggest thing. It was hard to sell these good ewe lambs this year. But um, the flip side of that is, I mean, they could have been weathers just as easily and it would have been easy to sell them. So um, if we didn't have such a good market for females, I think I'd, I'd be more concerned with it, but, uh, but I do pretty well selling the use. So no doubt. Well, uh, we'll wrap up here um, with a question that Trevor and I absolutely love. And that is what lessons has the stock show industry taught you? Well, I, I mean, to, I guess echo, you know, Will Werner's words were just be nice, be nice to people. Um, don't try, don't try not to get hung up and, 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 and think you're better than everybody else. I, I always am really annoyed when people post things about, uh, you know, a picture of a champion and say that we're so humbled for having raised this one. No, that's exactly the opposite of being humble. You're you're proud, which is okay to be proud, but to truly be humble and and um, or attempt to be, uh, and not think you're better than the guy that's, you know, I'm not saying I'm selling the highest dollar or the best sheep in the world, but the guy that's selling three hundred dollar ones and really enjoys doing it, that's fine. If that's if that's his goal and he really just wants to help the kids at his county fair and, and, and just sell locally, 
we need those people too. And uh, so I guess don't look down on anybody. Just, just be nice. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, Eric, we've really appreciated your time here and uh, we love picking the brains of those who's been doing it for a while. And uh, we, we just really appreciate you jumping on and uh, we're excited to get this out for the public. Well, yeah, I appreciate it. It's actually been a lot of fun. So good. Well, can't wait to see a picture of Tiger King and, uh, Hopefully we can uh, get back to showing livestock soon and we'll see you out somewhere. I hope so. I need to get out of here. I need, I need a trip. <laughs> so does, does Carl probably needs a trip too, doesn't he? Uh, he probably does. I don't know. He's fairly happy. He's probably more enjoying the fact that I'm always here than, than anything else. So, but <laughs> that is, uh, that is he's, one he's the only it. person who's not, not worried about quarantine he enjoys it yeah <laughs> as long as he gets to go to a feed store every couple weeks he's good to go that's the only outing he needs there you go <laughs> well we'll see you at the next one for sure sounds great thanks guys yep thanks good dude really enjoyed uh that episode and um you know a guy that we could talk to for forever he said he was in his truck there uh, had his phone on the bluetooth and um boy it's just a, a really good guy that raises good stock Rightfully so, with the uh, Edge Club's names, they know firsthand. Yeah, um, I also want to say that if you ha ever have a chance to go and meet Carl, which is Eric's dog that he was talking about there at the end that likes to make trips to the feed store, um, what a character. <laughs> I mean, the dude knows no strangers and absolutely just a, just a goober, just a big goober dog, but fun. I, I always like... Uh, I always like going to people's places and meeting their, their animals other than their livestock. So yes, I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for that. Carl's a cool dog. Um, also has an interesting name because who would name a dog Carl? Well, that person is Eric Shaw's. <laughs> uh, no, great, great stuff. Uh, really enjoyed talking to Eric always do. And I think we've got, uh, we've got a lot in store. I think when it comes to our relationship, which is exciting. Yes. Because, you know, that uh, Hell All Meals Buck has done a nice job for them. Hope he does for us and, and our partners there at Sugar Creek. Real cool. Um, Trevor, the show will go on. The show's happening. And uh, plan A is to do it at the exposition. And by show, we mean show tour. Brought Boom, to you tour. by Prina on our show feeds. We're hoping to do it right there in the ring at the exposition in Indianapolis Indiana. Uh, that's that's the that's goal number one, and if so, that'll happen Monday at two o'clock, June eighth. So that's Plan A. We're always having backups. We got Plan Bs. Stuff's well, anyway, gonna happen. We gotta have Cs and Ds and Es and yes. So Gs and... that's gonna happen one way or another. And I'm telling you, folks, it's gonna be awesome. Stock Talk Podcast Show Tour brought to you by. Perina on our show feeds. We're going to be all over the country this summer. We will have livestock shows. Promise you. One way or another. If we have to delay this thing in the wintertime next year, let's do it. But we're going to be in the rings all over the country, bringing you a college game day style feel to the livestock industry. Mm. And let's be honest. If we can't have sports, somebody's going to need to do something. So, yeah. hello. Yeah. Here we are. We're going to try to do something. Hey, I bet Lee Corso is kind of hanging out in his house right now. Wonder dude. if we can grab the dude and see if we can 
do some stuff. What if we just went, hey, Lee, got a little different kind of pigskin for you. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> oh, nice pick. Nice pick. Nice pick. Nice pick. Nice. Pick. That, that's my nice Lee Corset. Uh, we're going to have him put on like a the, the Duroc or Yorkshire, whatever helmet when he picks the winner. Oh, there you go. Awesome stuff. And we've got we've got so many things on our plate. I, I want to tell these people some other things we've been working on, but man, patience is a virtue. Don't forget about the showman. The showman. Uh get on our Facebook, Facebook you heard Live it here first on April twenty seventh. But the showman, showmanship contest starting in the hog division. It's happening. <sighs> Very close. Guys, we're excited about a lot of reasons, mainly because you guys are still listening to us. We love Every single one of you, week in and week out. Catch you next week.